We live in a very angry, cynical, sarcastic, and rude world. There was a woman, she was driving down the road when her car stalled out at an intersection. She was in a left-hand turn area. And there was plenty of room for people to get around her, but one particular gentleman decided that he would just get right behind her and honk her horn to get her to move. Well, she got more and more frustrated the more that guy honked his horn. She thought, who in the world is that guy? What's wrong with that guy? I can't get this car started. And he tried to start, she tried to start that car again and again and again. And the whole time, honk, 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 just honking that horn at her. Well, finally, she got so mad and so upset, she got out of her car. She walked back. The man behind her was startled. He rolled down his window. She said, I tell you what, why don't you go start my car and I'll sit back here and honk at you. There was a lady, she got on board a bus, and she was getting ready to pay her fare. She was holding on to her baby, and the bus driver said, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen. <laughs> now, that's, that's not nice right there, you know. Even though the baby might have been ugly, you don't tell the parent that the baby's ugly, you know what I mean? Because you and I both know, we've seen some ugly babies, but you don't just say, that's an ugly baby. So, well, that's a cute baby. That's the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life. That's what you do. You don't say it to the face. My goodness, that'd be terrible right there. Well, she was so shocked that somebody would say such a terrible thing to her. She went back and she sat down in the seat and she was just fuming mad. She was so upset. She sat down next to a guy. The guy said, what seems to be the problem? She said, that bus driver just insulted me. The guy said, well, that's ridiculous. He's a public servant. He has no business insulting somebody. She said, you know what? You're right. I think I'll go up there and give him a piece of my mind. The guy said, I think that's a good idea. Here, let me hold your walrus. <laughs> That's funny. Come on. That's good right there. Let, let me tell you one more. But this one's not funny. This one actually happened. And it happened in Seattle, Washington off I-5 at the Ship Canal Bridge. Uh, there was a woman that was contemplating suicide, 26-year-old woman. She had climbed over the side of the bridge. She was looking down a precipice of 160 feet. One of the things you need to know about the Ship Canal Bridge, it's a major thoroughfare. She does this during rush hour, and so traffic is now backed up for miles at a time. Well, word gets out what is taking place, that there's a woman who's contemplating suicide, and you would think that there would be compassion, that people would start to pray for her life and to give her clarity so that she wouldn't end her life, but that's not what happened at all. Uh, people literally got off of the freeway, off to the side got out of their cars, walked over to where they could be within earshot of the woman, and they begged her to jump. They wanted her to jump, they said, because they wanted to get home. And they were tired of sitting there in traffic, and they thought that it was uh, not necessary for her to pick that particular bridge at that particular time to contemplate whether she wanted to live or die. Angry motorists began to get on the phone called DJ, a radio DJ. And he joined in on the fun. And he also implored the woman to jump. He even had sound effects on the radio of objects jumping down into the water, plunging into the water. They had one lane of the bridge that was open for cars to go by, but they eventually had to shut the bridge completely down because people were driving by with their windows down, yelling and begging for the woman to jump. Guess what? She did. James Emery White asked, what prompts people armed with cell phones and time sitting still in traffic with the ability to assist to respond with such anger and contempt? What leads a heart away from compassion and empathy toward callous indifference, even murderous rage? It's simple. People are dangerous and cruel.
not can be, are. We live in a world that is rude. We live in a world that is mean. One of the reasons that we love Jesus so much is because of how kind he is. How he sees things in people that nobody else saw in them. They didn't even see it in themselves. He believed in people no matter what. No matter what their lot in life, no matter how far they might have strayed, Jesus always responded with kindness. Some of our favorite stories around here are about Jesus showing kindness to someone else. Remember the story of the woman who's caught in the very act of adultery? Jesus is teaching one day the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they bring this woman naked, throw her down on the stage before Jesus' feet, and they say, according to the law of Moses, we're supposed to stone such a woman for doing such a heinous act. They were supposed to take her outside of town, they said, and drop her down into a pit, take softball-sized rocks and boulders and crush her skull until she dies because what she's done is worthy of death. Never mind the guy's not there. Never mind that this is a complete setup that's happening here. Well, she's messed up, and she needs to pay for what she's done. One of the things we love about Jesus is that Jesus stood up for her. Jesus looked at those Pharisees and teachers of the religious law, and he said, I tell you what, guys, if you've never sinned, you cast the first stone. And one by one, from the oldest to the youngest, they all left until it was just her and Jesus. Jesus looked at her and said, is there no one here to condemn you? She said, no one, sir. That wasn't true. There was one that could have condemned her. Jesus could have condemned her. He said, but neither do I condemn you. You go now and leave your life of sin. This is not God's plan for your life. This is not what God wants for your life. God's got a greater dream for your life than this. And we love the fact that Jesus was so kind to her in her greatest moment of need. We think about John chapter 4. There's a Samaritan woman that comes to the well to draw water at 12 o'clock in the noontime. Now, why in the world would somebody draw water at noon? Well, she doesn't want to be around the women of the town. The women of the town were mean. They were cruel to her because her life hadn't turned out the way that she hoped that it would. We find out through the story that this woman's been married five times, currently living with a guy. Currently living with a guy doesn't love her enough to give him his last name. And so Jesus is kind to her. He could have slammed her. He could have condemned her. He could have rolled his eyes. He could have judged her. But Jesus is kind to her, and she's not so kind back if you read the story. She's kind of cynical and sarcastic. She's been hurt so many times. She's kind of got walls of defensiveness up against Jesus. And Jesus begins to talk to her about living water, something that will fill the emptiness that's inside of her. And he begins to paint a picture of what her life could be, what her life should be. And she's so blown away with this encounter and the kindness and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus that she runs back to the town, to the people that she was trying to stay away from and says, come meet the man who knew everything about me and still loved me. Oh, friends, it's the kindness of Jesus that leads us to repentance, isn't it? It's the kindness of Jesus that draws us to him. So we're going to look at another one of those stories in Luke chapter 5. Jesus has an encounter with a man who has leprosy. Let's look at it. Verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was also covered with leprosy. Now, Luke is a doctor, so he wants to point out some detail here. This man is covered with leprosy. He has had leprosy for a while. It has taken over his entire body. Now, let me explain to you about leprosy. I'm not going to show you pictures. I don't want anybody throwing up, all right? Don't Google this, all right? Don't go home and Google leprosy unless you've got a really good stomach. But here's what would happen. If someone had leprosy, they would wake up and they would feel fatigue. They would have pain in their joints. And then over time, they would have patches and nodules form on their skin. 
And those patches and those nodules would begin to make lumps. And over time, they would ulcerate, and then they would break open. These sores would break open. And I'm told that the stench of this thing was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, The leper would, would continue, obviously, to breathe. And when they would breathe in and breathe out, the leprosy would go down into their lungs. It would go down to their throat. Many times a leper wasn't able to speak because his vocal cords had been ulcerated as well. There was no cure for leprosy at this time. So if you were diagnosed with leprosy, you were just a member of the walking dead. And your your extremities would go numb. Your fingers and your toes would go numb. For years, we wondered why lepers would lose the ends of their fingers and their toes. Well, you're relegated to a leper colony. And leper colonies are not the cleanest places, and rats are infested all around. And so rats in the middle of the night while you slept would eat at your fingers and your toes, eat at your nose, and you wouldn't even know that they were doing it because you had no sensation at all. Eventually, the leprosy would enter into your brain, into your brain stem, and it would cause you to go into a coma, and, and then you would die. At the first sign of leprosy, You were to go and show yourself to the priest. And the priest would determine whether or not you needed to go to a leper colony. And if he decided that you did in fact have leprosy, you didn't get to go back home to say goodbye. You immediately left. You lost everything. You would never feel the warm embrace of your spouse ever again. You would not get the opportunity to see your kids grow up. You would not be able to go to one of their games, one of their practices. You wouldn't be a part of their life anymore. You would be relegated out in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of other lepers who were all going to die. Can you imagine? You've lost your livelihood. You've lost your family. You've lost your life. You've lost everything. And to make matters worse, you're now a social outcast. No one wants anything to do with you. And if you venture outside of the leper colony, it was lawful to kill you. You had no life anyway. Many times they would walk and they would be pelted with eggs and pelted with rocks. Sometimes these people would be murdered. And they would have to walk around and they would have to shout if they came into any close contact with anybody else. They'd have to shout, unclean, unclean. This is long before the six-foot rule. And to make matters really worse, you ready for this? If you contracted leprosy in the first century, they saw you as someone who was cursed by God himself. If you had a physical ailment of any kind, if you had some kind of tragedy that came into your life, those people believed that you had done something so heinous to God that God in turn had cursed you and that God wanted nothing to do with you anymore. Unclean! Unclean. Here we sit, 2,000 years later, and society still has those that we consider unclean, don't we? It's a dirty little secret, isn't it? We don't announce it, we don't share it, but we have a list. People that we associate with and people that we want nothing to do with. As long as they believe what I believe and as long as they do the things I do, as long as they look the way that I want them to look and act the way I want them to act, as long as they have the same political persuasion that I have, then we can be friends. But if they don't, if they look different from me and believe different from me and have a different lifestyle from me and if they follow a different political party than me, then unclean, 
unclean. Truth be told, most people walking around planet Earth are users. They use people. And when someone comes in their life and it can bless them and it can benefit them, it makes them feel good about themselves, then they like to hang around those people. But for those who are a little bit off, those who are a little bit different, those who have nothing to offer, we push them aside. I was reading a book by Gary Ingrid. He recounts the story about some parents who lived on the East Coast. Their son was fighting in the Korean War. They hadn't heard from him in 10 months. And one day the phone rang, and it was their son on the other end. He was in San Diego. And he said, Mom, Dad, the war's over for me. I'm coming home, and I want you to know, and I'm bringing a buddy with me. And this buddy of mine was pretty badly banged up in the war. He lost an eye. He lost an arm. He lost a leg. And I want to bring him home, and I want him to live with us. And the mom was gracious, and she said, well, I, I appreciate that. I'm sure he's a very brave soldier. And he can come, and he can live with us for about a week or so. And the son said, no, mom, that's not what I'm asking him. He's really in bad shape. He really needs all the help he can get. I mean, he's lost an eye. He's lost a leg. He's lost an arm. I want him to come live with us permanently. And the mom said, no, 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 I don't really think that's a good idea. But I, I tell you what, we'll, we'll go for six months. We'll go for six months. And, and I'm sure at that point in time, he'll get a good support system around him. He'll be able to get off on his own. You know, it, it, six months sounds pretty good. The son said, no, mom. I, he needs us. He can't make it without us. And the mom said, well, I think what you're asking me is a little bit ridiculous, to be honest with you. Do you realize what a drag this person's going to be on the whole family? We're going to have to reorchestrate our entire life. I mean, everything in our world is going to come to a crashing halt. Do you realize how much need a person has who's in this kind of physical condition? I just don't think it's a good idea, son, that you bring him at all. And with that, the son hung up the phone. Next day, the mom got another phone call from a police officer in San Diego informing her that her son had committed suicide. A week later, the body is shipped to New York. They pull back the sheet to identify the body, and they see their son, who's missing one eye, one arm, and one leg. See, as long as people benefit us, we could be kind to them. As long as, you know, they make us feel good about ourselves, as long as they're not too much of a burden, as long as they believe like us and think like us and see things the way we see them, as long as they have the same political persuasion as us, well, then we can kind of love those people. Oh, but if they're different, if they look different, if they act different, if they have a different viewpoint, if they have a different belief system, a different lifestyle. Oh, unclean! Unclean. And I think Jesus just shakes his head at us. Because what did he say would be the identifying mark of a true follower of Jesus? He said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. You'll know that you're my followers by the way that you love one another. We have a little saying around here that every single person you've ever locked eyes with matters to God and they should matter to us as well, right? Every single person that we've ever locked eyes with matters to God and they should matter to us as well. Unfortunately, that's just not the case, is it? In the first century, the Pharisees taught the rabbis, you said, you don't touch people who are unclean. You have nothing to do with these people. These people are cursed by God. Well, let's see what happens in the story, verse 12. When he, the leper, saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, this is one of the saddest stories in all of Scripture. 
I want you to get this. The, the leper doesn't doubt that Jesus can do it. He's just not certain that Jesus would want to. I mean, no doubt in his mind, hey, Jesus, you can pull this off. You're, you're capable. You're the son of God. You can do anything. I've heard about you healing other people. I know you can do it. I'm just not so certain you want to do it for me. And why does he feel that way? Because everybody's told him that God hates him. I mean, he's cursed by God, right? That's why he's got leprosy. And I, I just wonder how many of you are here today, and you're here at the invitation of a friend or a family member, or you just accidentally tuned in on the TV, and you like, can't even believe that you're still watching the silly thing, right? And you feel so far away from God, and you feel like God's given up on you, that God wants to condemn you, that God wants to slam you. In fact, you're a little bit surprised the walls haven't caved in when you walk through the door, because that's what you thought was going to happen. You're unclean. You carry around guilt. You carry around shame. You carry around pain from past mistakes. You've broken your heart more times than you can count. You've broken the heart of those that you say that you love so much. You've broken your word. You've broken your promises. You've broken the heart of God. You're too far gone. Unclean. Unclean. Oh, you have no doubt that God's alive. You have no doubt that God can do great things for other people. You just don't believe that God cares enough about you to do something great for you. You've given up on God and you've given up on yourself. So I want you to hear this loud and clear. You're never so far gone that God can't reach you. And you're not such a mess that God can't clean you up. And you've got to stop running from God. Because here's the thing, it's futile. Because he's chasing you down. And there's no place you can go where he isn't. And he's not chasing you down to condemn you. He's not chasing you down to slam you. He wants to help you. He wants to give you a brand new lease on life. He wants to take your sin and your shame and your regret and your pain and throw it as far as the east is from the west. He still believes in you. He still thinks magnificent things in you. And he will never, no, never give up on you. You know what gets me? In spite of all of our handicaps and all of our failures and all of our insecurities, what's the one thing we want more than anything else? We just want to be accepted. Well, that's what God does. God accepts us as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us that way, right? He enters into our sin. He enters into our shame. Look at what happens next here in verse 13. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the leper. He said, I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. I want you to get this. Jesus touched him before he healed him. And he didn't have to do that. All he had to say was, be clean. And he would have been clean. But Jesus touched him. In his current condition. Now we got to ask ourselves a question. How long has it been since he's felt a physical touch? Because no one wants anything to do with him. No one wants him to be around. How long has it been since he's felt the warm embrace of another person who truly loves him and truly cares for him? In this one amazing act of kindness, Jesus enters into his world. And Jesus says, I'm willing to be unclean, to identify with you. I was reading a book by Max Lucado called Cure for the Common Soul. It's, it's, it's a great book. And in the book, he shares an illustration, a story, true story, about what happened in a kindergarten class. Do you remember when you went to kindergarten class? Some of you ate too much paste. You don't remember at all. It's, 
happened to you, right? Kindergarten class had all these cute boards with all these beautiful colors on them. And there was always rules to a kindergarten class. You remember that, right? Like rule number one, follow directions quickly. Rule number two, raise your hand for permission to speak. Rule number three, raise your hand for permission to leave your seat. Rule number four, make smart choices. Those were the rules of the kindergarten class. And if you didn't abide by the rules, well, then your clothespin would move from the happy face to the sad face. Remember that? Some of you lived right here in the sad face, didn't you? That's where, that's where your clothespin just had an indentation. It was there forever. There was a little girl in the kindergarten class. Her name was Mara. And Mara one day had a song that needed to be hummed. It was a song that just needed to come out of her. And so she began to hum the song. But there was a rule in the kindergarten class that you weren't allowed to hum, for it would distract other students from learning at their full capacity. And so the teacher said to Mara, she said, you need to stop humming right now. And Mara apologized and said that she would stop. But 30 seconds later, she began again. It was a song that had to be hummed, I tell you. The teacher got on to Mara a second time, said, you got to stop humming. I've warned you once, I've warned you, I won't warn you again. Well, two, three minutes goes by and Mara forgets about the threat and she begins to hum a third time, ever so quietly, just so she can enjoy the song. But the teacher's quite upset, and she said, all right, Mara, I warned you once, I warned you twice. We're moving your name. And they moved it from green to blue. Mara had never been in blue before, and she was devastated. And she felt some things that she had never felt before. She felt isolated. She felt like everyone's eyes were on her. She felt very much alone. And she started to cry as a five-year-old would. She was devastated over what would happen to her. Well, she had a friend, his name was Blake, and he sat at the same table that she sat at, and he'd never seen her cry before, and his heart broke when he saw his friend's heart broken. So he moved his chair over to where she was at, and he began to pat her on the back, trying to console her. But no amount of consoling would stop the tears from flowing. He even tried funny faces, but she just continued to cry. So Blake did something that I think was quite heroic. He began to hum. <laughs> and he didn't hum quietly. He hummed loudly for all to hear. And the teacher said, hey, Blake, didn't you just see what happened with Mara? You stop, you're humming right now. He didn't stop for a second. He just kept on humming. Teacher said, fine, Blake, we're going to move you too. And Blake smiled. And Mara, she stopped crying. Because she wasn't alone anymore. Colorous blue. We've all sinned a blue streak, haven't we? And we felt isolated and we felt alone. We felt ashamed of what we had done. Felt like everybody was staring at us. That everybody was going to judge us and condemn us. But Jesus came into our world, reached into our loneliness, reached into our despair, and brought us hope. But Jesus did more than just take away our loneliness and despair. He, he took away our sin, didn't he? The Bible says in 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Jesus touched the man. 
He touched the ugliest part of his life. And he made it beautiful again. And I just want you to hear that he wants to do the same thing for you. Because whether you're a Christian or not, I'm, I'm pretty sure you've blown it lately. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of us that carry around a big old load of guilt and pain and shame. And I want you to know that Jesus hasn't given up on you. That Jesus cares about you, believe it or not. That Jesus will always be by your side. And that Jesus is eager to forgive you of your sin. And for those of you who have been running away from God and you think that God's out to get you and that somehow you're cursed by God, nothing could be farther from the truth. You understand that, right? Jesus did not come to condemn you, but to save you. He gave his life as a ransom for your sin debt. You say, I want that. I, I want Jesus in my life. I'm tired of living this way. The Bible says that the first thing you got to do is you just got to tell him that you want that. I mean, the leper came to him and said, hey, I want you to heal me. I want you to fix me. Are you willing? And Jesus said, oh, yeah, I'm willing. So you come to him and say, I, I don't want to live this way anymore. And then Jesus said, repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin. Said, Just stop doing those things that are destroying you. Get yourself surrounded by other people that can encourage you and hold you accountable. Start living your life for him because you love him, because he died for you, because he rose again from the dead. Oh, friends, we all were once the walking dead until Jesus rose again from the dead. And now we have hope beyond the grave because of what Jesus did. So I'm hoping that today someone, someone at home, someone in the room would say, I'm tired of living this way. I want Jesus to come into my life. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that at the end of our service. For the next few minutes, I want to talk to Christians for just a second. You know what a lost and unbelieving world finds unbelievable? Is when Christians are mean and rude and cynical. When we're full of anger and rage and bitterness. Do you know what Christians are known for? For being judgy. For being holier than thou. For condemning people with a look or with a glance. You know what Christians are known for? We're known for what we're against. Rather than what we're for. Coming up on two years of the pandemic. Two years of our nation fighting over masks. How'd you do? Did you show the kindness of Christ? Or were you an anti-masker or masker? And you let everyone know. You a vaxxer or unvaxxed? Which are you? We really want to know. Unclean! You love Trump, you love Biden, unclean. How many times did anger get the best of you? How many times did you rant and rave and give an argument with someone? There are families, Christian families that have been split in two because we couldn't show the kindness of Christ to each other. And can I let you know a little secret? You're never going to win anybody by an argument. Do you understand that? It's the kindness of Christ that compels us. We can't believe that somebody would love us in this way. We can't believe that someone is for us in this way. In spite of our differences, that Jesus still accepts us. 
And aren't we supposed to be, as Christians, as followers of Christ, the most accepting people on the face of the earth? Look at what the Bible says here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. It says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I'm tired of Christians being known for what they're against. Around this place, I want people to know what we're for. And we're for people. We're for loving people, for caring about people, for coming alongside people, and for lifting Jesus up. My goodness, as Christians, we're supposed to use the same kindness and compassion that God has shown us. And how kind and compassionate has he been? And we're to be a conduit of his kindness and compassion onto other people. We're supposed to be the most grace-giving, forgiving people that the world has ever seen. But there are many people that are hearing my voice right now, and you're full of rage and anger and unforgiveness. You're so unlike Jesus. you got to let it go. He'll take care of that for you. You don't need to rant and, and rage and go off on people. All you're doing is degrading the name of Christ when we live that way. We're supposed to be the most loving people. It's the mark of what a Christian is. 1 Corinthians 13 says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, if I give a big donation to M1, and I surrender my body to the flames, but I don't have love in it, I gain nothing. When we're unkind to someone, when we're rude to someone, and they know that we're a Christian, not only have we wounded that person's self-esteem and lessened their value, but we've lessened the value of Christ. And we've been a poor example of what it is to be a follower of his. But when we do the opposite, when we bring calm in the midst of the chaos, when we're the peace in the midst of the storm, when we're kind, even when other people aren't, Jesus is elevated and lifted up. And that's our job is to lift up the name of Christ so that all men will see how good he is. Lonnie Edwards is a PE instructor at uh, Hoper Alexander Elementary School in DeKalb County, Georgia. A PE teacher for elementary school. It's fifth grade class that he's teaching how to square dance. Do you remember the square dance? That was awful. When it was just bad enough touching somebody else because they all had cooties. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's much worse than COVID ever was. You know, cooties. It was just it was an incurable disease at that point. You didn't want to touch you. You got cooties. So he's trying to teach these kids how to square dance, and he's starting to pair them up. Boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. And there was a little girl, redhead kid named Nancy. She just walked out of the class. Walked out of the gymnasium. She had never acted like that before in all the time that he had known her. Just walked out. And he called out, Nancy. She just kept going. He thought, this is, this is rather peculiar. So we followed her out into the hallway, called out her name again, and she stopped. She had wrapped a towel around her hands, and she turned around, and she was crying. And Lonnie, the PE teacher, said, what in the world has gotten into you? What, what's going on? She said, I'm not going to square dance. I don't, I don't want to square dance. I don't, I don't want anybody touching me. Nobody wants to touch me. He said, what, what in the world are you talking about? What, what is going on? 
She said, I was born with uh, one pinky and two fingers on one of my hands. I have a deformed hand. My hand isn't like everybody else's. Lonnie didn't even know it. She had concealed it. And she was able to write and do all the things that, you know, no other teachers even recognized that she had this as an issue. And this is what Lonnie said to her. He said, Nancy, we can't do anything about this problem, but I can help you overcome it and become the best you can be. Now, I want you to hold your head up. From this moment on, you will no longer use this as a limitation. And slowly, Nancy removed the towel. She said, the kids are cruel. He said, we'll get through this together. Well, they went in, and he began to teach the different square dance moves. He didn't have them pair up on this particular day. About four days later, they knew enough of the square dance moves and country music. It was rough. And <laughs> time to pair them up, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy, girl. And Lonnie paired himself up with Nancy, held her hand, did the dance moves with her. And the kids saw that there wasn't anything really different about her hand than anybody else's hand. And they became eager to square dance with Nancy. He continued to encourage her for the next few years when he saw her. And then they lost touch with each other. And happenstance, they got to see each other one more time. And Nancy looked at Lonnie and she said, you know, I type 65 words a minute. I play the piano. I'm married now. I've got a wonderful husband, four kids. And then she looked at her PE teacher with tears in her eyes and she said, and everything changed in my life. The whole trajectory of my life changed because of your kind words. You have no idea the power of your words. With your words, you can tear someone down and you can build them up. With your words, you can diminish Christ or you can elevate Jesus to a whole other level. There's a lot of things in this world that you might regret. But being kind won't be one of them. Now, some of you are here today. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. You think he's out to get you. Yeah, he is out to get you. He wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you. <laughs> he loves you with an in spite of kind of a love. When I was 15 years old, I realized this amazing love of God. And I got on my knees and I asked him to come into my life and rescue me from myself. I haven't been perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. I've had a lot of rebellion in me. Even after I asked Christ in my life, I still have it to this day, to be honest with you. But man, it's the desire of my heart to live for him, to love him with everything that I've got. And if that's your desire, then there's no reason why you shouldn't ask him into your life. Jesus came for you because he's for you and not against you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us to be kind and loving and forgiving. Help us to be the calm in the midst of the chaos, the peace in the midst of the storm. Help us to see value and bring value in other people. Lord, I pray for folks that don't have a relationship with you and they're so lost and they're so empty and in some ways they have felt even cursed by you. Someone along the way just said some mean things to them. And your value went down in their eyes. But Lord, I pray as a result of our time together today, they'd realize how good you are, how kind you are, and how much you love them. You love them so much that you died on a cross and rose again from the dead. 
Lord, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. Today would be the day they make things right with you. Your will be done in this moment. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.